Hey, this is Dan with episode 50 of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. I can't believe we've created 50 episodes of this leadership podcast together. Thank you for your support and for listening. For episode 50 of Garage to Goliath, we're doing a recap, a roundup of sorts of the five lessons I learned from 50 episodes. And the lessons I learned fall into five different themes. Creativity, courage, culture, connection, and coaching. So there'll be a lot of references to other episodes, resources you can get outside listening to this podcast, downloads my team have created. So if you're listening while you're driving or cooking dinner or on a walk, you can find everything referenced in this episode in the show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash zero five zero. That's quiggle, Q-U-I-G-G-L-E group.com forward slash zero five zero. Also to celebrate 50 episodes together as a personal favor to me. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to, rate, and leave a review on iTunes at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. Subscribing, of course, helps others find the show, and please leave an honest review. Your reviews help me get better as a host and help me make this podcast better for you. We're going to start mixing this up a little bit, just changing the format for the show, uh, especially in this episode. My director of content, Megan, is actually going to interview me, so I'm excited to introduce her to you. And if you ever have any suggestions for the show, for guests, or for topics, you can email her at Megan, that's M-E-G-H-A-N, at quigglegroup.com. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath Leaders Building Legacies podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. So first of all, I want to introduce Megan Swella Norton. Hi, Megan. Hi. How are you? Uh, we have known, I'm doing great. Uh, better this morning now that you're on. That's exciting. Uh, we've known each other for a long time, speaking many, many years on the Leadership Institute circuit, traveling around the world, training young grassroots activists. And then you went on to Americans for Prosperity, where you were able to train other activists, grassroots activists on how to be more effective, how to communicate the message. And so now we get to work together. And we've been working together for how long? About a year and a half. Yes, time flies, doesn't it? Life flies by. And so I'm really excited about this opportunity. And by the way, you may be doing some shorter interviews, uh, maybe even of me, uh, so that we could start to dig deeper on some of these subjects for our listeners. But I'm just really excited to have you and appreciate your time and all that you do for the Quiggle Group. And so let's get started. That sounds great. So I want to get started with these five themes that I learned from the first 50 episodes. And so maybe we can dig into that right now. Of course. Um, Well, first, I can't believe that we've done 50 episodes of this leadership podcast together. And I have thoroughly enjoyed the process of being behind the scenes and getting to meet the guests beforehand. And so I'm excited to help you unpack, I know that you don't like that term that much, but unpack some of these concepts a little more thoroughly and in a more robust fashion for our listeners. So let's jump right into the first theme, the first thematic lesson from the last 50 episodes, which I think, and I think you agree as well, is creativity. I thought we heard a lot about the power of creativity in episode 46 with Rajshri. Yeah, she was incredible, wasn't she? Yeah, I um, was thrilled to know that there are fair-minded professors out there in the world of economics, and she just communicated economics in a way that made it fascinating, which I really appreciate because economics might not be my forte, but she just communicated it in story format, which made it much easier to digest. Well, you know, I could see why she's so 
you know, good on college campuses because she takes a very complex subject and, and actually makes it simple for people to understand and brings it to a level where they can kind of buy into the concept. So I love talking to her. Right. And as you know, I'm a little bit of a podcast addict myself. So I heard Rashri on another podcast that I'm a big fan of, The Rubin Report. And I listened to a lot of interviews and her interview on The Rubin Report made me stop and say to myself, this might be the best interview I've heard all year, which is really saying something. So I thought I have to get her on our show. And one demonstration of creativity that I think she brought to the table was a tool of as high functioning, high drive people. We of course want the best for our kids. And I thought this was an amazing episode that gave high level executives a creative tool to be able to create an empathetic bond between them and their kids. And so maybe you could talk about how she, I thought it was at least a really creative way to talk about leadership and personal responsibility to kids. And maybe you could connect the dots as to why that was a great creative way to communicate with your kids if you are a CEO or a leader within an organization. Well, as someone who has three kids, two older, 23, 21, and then a 14-year-old, I often would think, like, do they even know what it's like to be a CEO or what I do on a daily basis? Are they, do they just think I go out and, and they have no clue what's happening? And so what she was talking about was, how do you become the CEO of me, the CEO of yourself? And by doing that, it allows them to kind of put themselves in similar situations. For example, that they are in control of their daily schedule, that they are in control of all of the actions and the steps that they take throughout a day to make things happen for themselves. And so by doing that, it starts to let them think at a higher level and starts to let them understand that they are in control of their own destiny. And ultimately, they have to communicate a message, and they have to market themselves, and they have to do all these things that a CEO would do within a company. And they also have to be the visionary leader. So they have to set the tone. They have to set the standards. They have to get buy-in from their friends, from their teachers, from their parents on all of these dreams and aspirations that they have. And she really brought that to a good place for me because I actually, when we finished there, said, hey, am I allowing my kids the freedom to fail, to succeed? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of times these days, we monitor everything. We control everything with these kids from the time they get out of school, homework, food, you know, band practice, sports teams, you know, what time they go to bed. I have to say... I'm not sure there's a lot of space for conflict resolution among friends because, you know, God forbid that happens. Parents need to step in and solve it. There's not an opportunity for them to have the freedom to go down the street and have an adventure or be in a scuffle on a playground and actually have to figure out how to get out of it or how to deal with it. And so then that just starts to change the way their perspective is on real society. Yeah. Real society Real, the real world is tough sometimes. Well, and it's robbing young people of the opportunity to be decision makers. And so then when they advance into adulthood, they've never had to make any real decisions themselves. So I just thought that was a really creative way to create a bond between a professional adult and ways that they can communicate and get their kids to empathize with them in their professional roles. And we, as part of that episode, created a really cool tool that parents can download and start to teach their kids to act and think like CEOs. And so you can find a link to that at quigglegroup.com forward slash 050. If you want a resource on how to teach your kids to act and think like CEOs. The other thing, I mean, she took so many words that we hear every day and gave them a new meaning for me. And you really liked the way, the creative way she communicated the difference between envy and jealousy. Yes. So envy, and this is interesting because there's good and bad with each one. And so she kind of clarified that for me and showed the difference. So envy is about wanting something I don't have. 
Jealousy is about having something and not wanting to lose it. So you put up barriers to protect, to protect it. And I love what she said. For, so, for example, Envy. Envy is saying, I have something. Actually, Envy is saying, you have something, and I want it. And so you should give it to me. Well, that would be the bad side. But there's also a good side to Envy, which is like, you have something, I want it. So that's going to drive me to work harder, to do the things necessary, take the proper steps to get it myself. And by so the way, the maybe side. maybe befriend me and get advice as to how I got to that position instead of just stopping at the negative emotion of, I envy you, and so I want what you have, and I'm going to be resentful if I don't get it. But turning and it by into, the way, that mm-hmm, go ahead. Turning it into positive a positive step forward of, okay, Dan has something that I want. Gosh, I wonder how he got there. I'd love to know his story. How can I befriend him? How can I learn the mistakes that he made along the way so maybe I can avoid some of them myself? So we all typically think of envy as just totally negative, but it can be a negative feeling that you can take positive action on. And that's part of expanding the kitchen cabinet, right? Maybe that person likes that you came to them. The conversation was engaging. And next thing you know, they want to help you and they want to invest in you. And that's all part of the kitchen cabinet process that we talk about. Well, then comes the jealousy side. So jealousy is saying, I have something. I love it. And I don't want to lose it. So then I, and she used the example of a jealous lover. Then I put up walls around it to make sure I protect it. Nobody can touch it. Nobody can talk to it. But then there's this positive side of jealousy that says, I love something, I want to keep it, so I need to nurture that, show more love, invest more, believe in, so that that person wants to love me back as opposed to putting up those barriers. So I just love that whole concept, and for me, it's saying, you know, from an envy side, look for ways to learn from people that are doing those things that I want, you know, that have those things that I want or doing the things that I want to be better at. And then from a jealousy side, making sure that I'm showing the love, that I'm showing that attitude of gratitude, that I'm allowing the people around me the opportunity to be free, but also to know that they're loved and invest in them. And the one thing she said about jealousy that made my little free market, free society heart sing is she called out businesses or business leaders who use jealousy in a negative way. When they see competitors coming and gaining market share, the knee-jerk reaction is to take that negative emotion of, of jealousy and act in a negative way by going to government and lobbying for regulations regulations to keep their competitors out when really what they should be doing is, okay, these people are coming for what we have, our competitors. How can we innovate more? How can we serve our customers better? How can we make our customers feel valued so that they never want to go over there? They want to stay with us. We're going to give them more value. And that's a net benefit for society overall if business leaders choose to channel their jealousy in a positive direction. Yeah, and we talk about all the time that that profit is a result of how well you serve others. And so make sure you're serving others well, constantly being innovative, constantly thinking outside the box, looking for new ideas and be open to those things. And that's sometimes hard as a leader because when things are going well, uh, it's easy to get complacent, and it's same in our personal lives. And so we've got to constantly challenge ourselves to be the next best version of who we are and to ultimately be the CEO of yourself. Yeah. So the second thematic lesson from the past 50 episodes I thought was courage. And we had several guests that talked about courage, but one that really stood out to me was your friend Jerry Daniels from episode six. So will you just remind the listeners who Jerry is, and then I want to remind them of a really awesome quote that he shared with us on episode six of Garage to Goliath. Yeah, so Jerry Daniels is a family friend, I mean, a close family friend. Our sons were best friends in high school and still stay in touch, and I love that. But Jerry was working for an automotive dealership group, 
and was second in charge and doing extremely well in life. And one day he came up with this brilliant idea to solve a problem. And isn't that what most businesses do? So Jerry would walk through these multi-million dollar car dealerships that they had just built and realize that they would have these TVs and the TVs were set up on regular channels. And so, you know, you had soap operas and totally inappropriate shows being shown. In the waiting room. Yeah, and while kids are running around in the waiting room and, you know, people are just sitting there. And by the way, every commercial break, another car commercial from a dealer down the street from their competitors. So he came up with this idea, created the Automotive Broadcasting Network, ABN, and did a deal with CBS for good, clean content that they had deemed, you know, appropriate. But now every commercial was that dealer's commercial. Every commercial was a a vehicle walk around for a Honda or Chevrolet or whatever dealer it was and has done extremely well. And I love that he was willing to take that risk. So here was a guy who could have lived out his whole life, was highly successful, had the resources, but saw a better way, took a huge risk, invested, you know, a good amount of resources and has made it work. And I love Jerry because he builds a culture, he invests in others, he believes in in taking care of the people around him, and that's admirable. And he said, I I think the question you asked him is, what is the lesson that you're trying to teach your kids about leadership? And I loved his response, and it's definitely something I'm going to put in my knowledge bank for when Nick and I become parents. He said, I tell my kids It doesn't take any talent to do what people expect you to do. Why was that really powerful for you, Dan? And why should our listeners take note of that? Yeah, so I think that when somebody screws up, whether it's your kids, an employee, you know, the thing that's expected is for us to blow up in return and just, you know, give them heck and really tell them how they disappointed you and everything. I think it's finding the teachable moments in all these situations. It's failing forward. It's allowing yourself to realize that no one's perfect. We're going to make mistakes. Now, we don't want to make mistakes over and over again because then that's when we really have to make serious change. But we're all going to make mistakes. And so how do you deal with that? And and I think that I'll give you an example, a story. So early on in my career, I'm working for an organization and I was put in a leadership position, and I was the youngest. So almost everyone around me was older than I was. Mm -hmm. And there may have been some resentment from one of the guys. And I just started hearing from all my coworkers, hey, watch yourself. He's talking bad about you. He's he's really bad-mouthing you. And so I thought about it. And and he was trying to sabotage you. Oh, 100%. Yeah, 100% trying to sabotage me. And and so it – and I had to do something. If any of us were in that position or looking in, we would expect you to try to do the same to him. Yes. That's and, what and people so, would expect of you. Yeah, yeah, to to just jab back, to, to undermine him, maybe make him look bad, talk bad. But then that would look negatively on me because now I'm just down in the trenches just like he was. Sure. So I decided to handle it myself. So we were traveling with the, the head of the organization and we were in Toronto, Canada. And it just so happened because, you know, it's just the way it was back in the day. We, we shared rooms. So I was sharing a room with this guy. So we walked into the room. I walked in last and I turned around. I remember I locked the door and I kind of stood between him and the door. And, and I said, Which hey. Is a good rule of hotel stay. Always latch the latch. But. Yeah, but, well, in that case, the good rule is just get your own room. Let's just be honest. So the bottom line is, I remember I, I said, hey, and this is a strategy, by the way, I learned early on is maybe someone, you ask someone to be put in your position and to, you know, you be me, I'll be you. If this happened, what would happen? And a lot of times they will be harder on themselves than you ever would have been on them, kids included. And so I, I said to him, hey, can you do me a favor? Can we switch positions for a minute? You're me, I'm you. And he's like, okay. And I said, imagine if you heard that I've been talking about you and it's not been good. And I started quoting exactly some of the things that he had said. And the look on his face just went ash and white. And I said, how would that make you feel? And he said, not good at all. And I said, well, I guess we have three options here. I mean, I can go back, option number one, and talk badly about you and try to undermine you and tell people how horrible you are and all these negative things. I said, number two, we could walk down the hallway right now to the head of the organization, tell him everything, and just talk about it and see if we can come to a conclusion. 
Or number three, this could never, ever happen again. Which one would you choose? And I remember without even skipping a beat, he said, definitely number three. And it was so interesting, Megan, because that point on, I mean, he was like one of my biggest allies. I mean, we talked all the time. People were like, I don't know what just happened, but, you know, and and I think it's just doing the opposite of what people would expect you to do, which is what you said, you know, talk badly about somebody. It's addressing a situation head on. It's dealing with it. And who knows what the conclusion of that could have been. I mean, it could have gone different ways, of course, but I was fortunate that you know, by staying cool, by giving some options, by having him put himself in my position, we were able to resolve it. I mean, I think from an outsider looking in, they would expect two young males full of testosterone in their early 20s for you to just lock the bedroom door and, you know, smack them outside the head a couple times. But well, it, so it doesn't take any, but that doesn't take any talent. And I just, I loved what Jerry Daniel said, it doesn't take any talent to do what people expect you to do. And and I want my listeners to really listen to that because this is not just talking about business. This is talking about with your kids, when somebody, you know, messes up and they will, you know, can you find that teachable moment? Can you turn it around and turn it into an opportunity to, to move forward, to be better, to be stronger than you ever dreamed you could be? Mm-hmm. Which brings us to our third thematic lesson is the importance of culture. And I think that that is wildly important at home and professionally. Um, I was really inspired by the way our guest Mike Mugel on episode 30 of Garage to Goliath talked about culture and Mike is a big real estate guy. He's the CEO of Red Mountain Group with over a billion dollars in assets in 17 different states. And he fully believes and fully attributes his success, his monetary success, the success of his business to building a culture early on. He said, before I even had a business, I was building a culture. And he said that culture is what makes your business and it is what saves your business because he went through a real estate downturn in 2007 and eight, just like everyone else. So he said- Yes, I'm very familiar with that downturn. (laughs) He said, culture makes your business and saves your business and it provides for the longevity and structure of your business. I mean, Dan, he told a story about how he took all of his employees and his spouses on a collective trip to Italy. And I was like, whoa, hold up. Okay, the trip to Italy is kind of cool, but I'm way more fascinated about the fact that a bunch of coworkers wanted to travel together. You know what I mean? So, Well, I think you could be worst enemies. If, if somebody's taking you to Italy, you'll get along. You'll get along. Fair enough, fair enough. So can you talk a little bit about culture, maybe what you learned from Mike Mugel and how you've built culture in your own business and in all of your speaking with CEOs around the world, what have you seen is the number one culture killer of businesses? So I love that Mike was intentional in the building of his culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, he made it a priority. He invested in the people around him. They felt it. And by the way, when you feel it and it's real and you're being appreciated, you're being valued, what do people want to give you? Everything. Not because they have to, because they want to. And you know, Megan, in your own heart, in my own heart, in my whole soul, in my soul, there's a difference. Like you want to be around those people you want to invest in, you know, in return. And that's what Mike did. I mean, he truly invests in them. He cares about them. And you can hear it in his voice when he talks about them. So within my own companies, from the time I first started my own business, I think one of the things that I've done, and, and I don't even know if it was on purpose, but I've done it fortunately well, is I've empowered them to be individual thinkers. I've surrounded myself people with in, in most instances that are smarter than me. Mm-hmm. And I don't mind that. I appreciate that. They're probably better at me at those specific jobs uh, than I will ever be. And so by doing that on a regular basis, I don't have to micromanage. I don't want to micromanage. 
I want them to live and die by their decisions. I want them to to feel the pain when when things don't go well, but I also want to celebrate and appreciate them when things go really well. Mm-hmm. And because that's real life. And and I think by doing that, it's creating this freedom for me, for them, where they can actually be the people that they want to be. And by the way, by doing that from a culture standpoint, I personally understand, like, if my kids are having a play and it's midday, I want to be there. Mm-hmm. And I know, wouldn't they want to be there? So then go and come back and do your work. So we don't have, like, this set, very rigid structure. I mean, they work all the time. They're there. But if something like that comes up, I encourage them. I want them to take advantage of that because that's what, you know, life is all about. It's not missing those opportunities. It's it's being there. And and, and then when you're back here, be present and, and get done what you need to get done. But it's that freedom that we've created. And I think, you know, you, you talked about the culture killer. I think that you find, especially among the CEOs that I talk to, there is this belief by some that they are the only ones that can get it done right, that they are the ones that have to be in every meeting, that have to be on every call, that have to be in every decision. And I just think that when you do that, it just saps the energy. It saps the life out of everyone around you, and they may want to move on. They may not want to be there anymore yeah. because you're always going to be the smartest one in the room. And yeah. I think that once you look outside that, the opportunities just start to expand. And by the way, I think that applies personally as well. I'm always telling Nick, my husband, my goal is to be the dumbest person in our friend group because I'm a pretty sharp cookie. I mean, I can hang, but if I'm like the dumbest person in my friend group, that means I am learning exponentially more about topics I would have never even considered before. So I'm always trying to find us like the super smartest <laughs> friends. So, Well, there is something to be said for a great conversation, isn't there? Mm-hmm. I mean, where you're not talking about people, you're not talking about things, you're talking about ideas. Big and, ideas. Yeah, I love, I love ideas, right? I love whether it's on business or life or different viewpoints with your kids. Mm-hmm. I mean, Megan, it's the same reason why you know, and, and it's no, I mean, I worked for President Reagan. You know, there's no reason why I don't watch Fox News. I already believe that. Mm-hmm. So now I watch every other station because I want to hear the other side. I want to challenge myself to think outside of my ideas and knowing that that will either allow me to change my mind, which usually it doesn't, but but at least I'm listening, or solidify or strengthen my current beliefs. Mm -hmm. But at least I hear the other side. I think that, you know, so often in life we get these blinders on and that's what's happening to our kids so that when there is a new idea, they're offended by everything. They're outraged by everything. And, uh, you know, when you start letting others and their beliefs, you know, outrage you, it's going to be a pretty miserable life because it's happening all around you. So then you're just upset all the time. I don't want to live perpetually offended. That sounds so miserable. I love that you said like listening to the other side of things. I just recently listened to an interview with Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor and it was fascinating to hear her story and the way that she thinks and there are some things that I still vehemently disagree with her on after listening to this long-form interview with her but something happened to me. I disagreed with her for different more empathetic reasons by the end of the interview. And so I didn't necessarily change my stance on something, but I changed my way of thinking about it, which only happens if you're willing to expose yourself to something different. So I think for my listeners, what I want them to take away from this from a culture perspective is that when you create a culture where you are a good listener, where you give, you know, grace to somebody when they mess up, when you allow people to take risk, to think outside the box, to be innovative, they're going to be, you know, aggressive in in innovating for you. They're going to be aggressive in being the best for you because they feel free. And when you create that in a culture, I think the sky's the limit. And I think you've seen companies do that, like Chick-fil-A and In-N-Out Burger and Zappos and Google, where those people are empowered 
to be great people, to be great leaders within that organization. I mean, it's why Chick-fil-A managers, I mean, they're, they're making fried chicken sandwiches with pickles on top and they feel like they're changing the world. Mm -hmm. So don't tell me it has to be, you know, sports related or entertainment or finance or tech. No, these are visionary leaders that have created a culture bigger than themselves, bigger than the product. And we all have the opportunity to do that within our companies and Mm -hmm. within our families. Mm -hmm. Closely related to culture is the next theme that we identified over 50 episodes, and that's connection. And you talk a lot about connecting with other people in your keynote speaking. And connecting with other people can be really hard to do well. And I had to learn a lot of this by trial and error in my own speaking. And so I thought the episode, episode number 44 with Bob Berg, he's the author of the Go-Giver book series, which by the way, I highly recommend you go back and listen to this episode. You can find it at quigglegroup.com forward slash 044. But the episode was great because in this era of heightened tribalism and this culture of in-group, out-group mentality, this episode with Bob was a charge to each of us as leaders in our own lives to stop blaming others for the toxicity, politicians, the media, the other side, and take responsibility ourselves on how we as individuals can change our immediate culture in our sphere of influence and connect with people around us as people. And I'll I'll say the human tendency is to expect another person to be where you are already. And then we get frustrated and angry and then toxic and tribal if someone isn't where we already are. But exceptional leaders don't do that. They don't do the thing that everyone expects them to do. They figure out where that other person is, meet them there, and then journey with that person to a new destination together. And that's what connection is. So can you um, share with the listeners what you learned about connection from that episode 44 with Bob Berg? Yeah, so first of all, he was amazing. I loved the way he talked about interactions with other individuals. But one of the neatest stories, and I think one of the biggest takeaways for me, was when he talked about like a standard Facebook interaction. And what his message was, and I've really thought about it a lot. I've actually used it since then many, many times. But what he said was a standard Facebook you know, interaction these days is somebody posts something political and then somebody writes something very aggressive back using aggressive language. And he said that most people say you can't change anyone's mind. He goes, oh, I disagree. See, he said, I think there's a whole group of people out there that are watching this interaction, hundreds, thousands sometimes. And they're never going to say anything because they don't want to be combative. They don't have enough information. There are a lot of reasons why they won't. But they're watching and listening. And he said, and they will make up their mind based on two things. One, who they like the best. Mm -hmm. And two, who has the best argument. And so going back to that, what you would expect people to do, the standard response to that is like an aggressive response back, like bad language. Like, yeah, how dare you? You know good. I can't believe you're such an idiot. Yes, and all kinds of other words. Mm -hmm. And so that's that's what typically would happen. Mm-hmm. But Bob said, what if instead you said back to all that hateful language, um, hey, clearly by your response, I see that you are passionate about this issue, and so am I. And in the end, both of us don't want school shootings and or don't want whatever it is, yeah. the topic of the day. And so I believe this is the possible solution, but I know you probably have another solution. So maybe we should discuss it and talk about it and see if there's ways that we can agree to help stop this horrible thing from happening. Mm -hmm. And he said, by doing that, you're going to get people who are on the sidelines who are going to say, hey, that was a very nice way to respond. And that person seems nice. And, and by the way, they didn't sacrifice what they believed in, but they actually had some arguments and maybe even some evidence to support what they believed. Maybe that's the one I'm going to side with. 
And and I just have thought about that since because I've been on airplanes sitting next to somebody, or you know, we start talking, and very clearly I see that we're going to be You're on like, opposite sides of something. Ooh, I got to listen okay. to something now. <laughs> and maybe they'll engage me. And you know me, I'm not shy when it comes to engaging as well. However, I'm also hopefully smart enough to realize that there are different opinions. So when we get to that point, I actually used what Bob taught me and it turned out really well because they said, yes, I do want to stop that. And I could see why you have another opinion. And maybe there are ways that we can agree or, you know, places where we can agree. And it just proved his concept. So I just want my listeners to realize, and, and Megan, you said it first, when you meet somebody where they are and then start the discussion, it's not name calling. It's not being offended by everything they say. It's understanding that people have different perspectives, but that's because of the way they were brought up. That's because of the environment they've been living in. And their since own we, experience. Since we all have different experiences, I guarantee you every single one of us, every one of us, mm-hmm. no one is going to have the exact same feelings to an experience, to a situation, mm-hmm. or the same information given to them. So then we can start the debate. Then we can start to to try to solve some of these problems. If we had more of that in politics, today, Megan, in politics, it is destruction. It is literally, can I destroy the other person and put them in prison from both sides? Mm -hmm. Totally. Saying, hey, we have real kids that need help out there. We have veterans that need help out there. We have, you know, people in this country that could benefit from a solution that we could create but we're not going there. It's all destruction. When I was speaking a lot for Americans for Prosperity Foundation, I'd get in a room of, you know, 50 or 60 people and, um, you know, they want to like hate on the other side. So I said, okay, okay, everyone in the room, can you raise your hand if you're married? And so, you know, all these hands would go up and I say, okay, leave your hand up if you agree with your spouse on 100% of the issues 100% of the time and everyone's hand goes down and I said and how many people would still be married if that were a condition of your marriage they're like none of us if we had to agree all the time and I said well why is it any different with your neighbors why is it any different with anyone. Heck, I don't even agree with myself sometimes. And that's saying something. So like go across the street and meet your neighbor where they are at their current level of understanding and journey with them to a new level of understanding. Yeah. and, And I just, it goes back to the whole, you know, connectivity. Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to engage? Are you willing to understand? And I'm not saying sacrifice your principles. I'm not saying give up. But put the responsibility on yourself as a leader and your leaders around you to create such a compelling vision, such a compelling argument that at least people are willing to listen, where you don't offend somebody, you don't upset them. And and that's a hard one because, you know, you're going to upset other people, but not intentionally, not intentionally. You don't have to. Yeah. And, and we know those buzzwords. We know the things that, you know, that can really spark someone. And so I try to avoid them mm-hmm. because why, why, why get into that situation? And so I just challenge my listeners to connect, connect, you know, turn to your right, turn to your left, ask them where they're headed, ask them where they are. And I guarantee you the majority of opportunities I've had in my life is because I've been willing to start a a conversation like that. Yeah. And because I've then been willing to take it to the next level where maybe we become friends, maybe we travel together. I mean, life is so interesting. There's a lot of really interesting people out there and we should take advantage of that. Can I share with you um, a rhetorical strategy that I learned recently that I've really enjoyed employing? Um, and I, I want to get your thoughts on it. So I was, yeah, no, I'd love to hear it. I was listening to an interview, again, a long form interview between two people who were probably on different sides of many different issues. And the one gal who was in this conversation, I could tell she didn't agree on everything, but she she kept saying to the person she was talking with, hey, I'd like to try this idea out. And then she would say whatever it was, like, I'd like to try this idea out. What if X, Y, or Z? And I just thought that was such 
a disarming way to say, hey, I'm trying this idea out. I'm not saying like, this is dogma. I'm not saying I'm willing to die on this hill. I'm not saying you're an idiot if you believe differently than this statement I'm about to make. I just want to float this idea out there so we can talk about it in a very disarmed way. And so I've actually... (laughs) use that a lot at home recently in the last three or four months when it's like, well, I know I have to have kind of a hard conversation with my husband. And I said, instead of, hey, this is what I think we should do. Or, hey, I know you don't want to do this, but I start with, hey, I would just like to try this idea out. I'm not married to it, but I would just like to try this idea out together. And the conversations that have flowed from there have been so much more fruitful. Yeah, no, I, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to try that. And not look, we're all different, okay? But when you come in strong on something, you know, there leaves no wiggle room. And so I, I do like that from that perspective. So it gives you a chance just to kind of throw something out there, uh, see where <laughs> see where it ends up, and 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 maybe get some buy-in from those around you. So no, love that. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to the fifth thematic lesson from 50 episodes of this leadership podcast, which is coaching. And since starting this podcast, since the inception of your speaking career many moons ago. Thank you for being gentle on how old I am. Well, I would just like to try this idea out. Yes, 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 exactly. (laughs) Um, You've been connecting with a lot of leaders and something you learned early on in your career is the necessity of having a stellar and robust kitchen cabinet. And the pinnacle of that kitchen cabinet for you is Mr. Bailey, um, which was (laughs) our first episode interviewee, episode one of Garage to Goliath. So can you talk about why it's important to have a robust kitchen cabinet, where that concept came from, and why Mr. Bailey has taught you the importance of coaching. Yeah. So, you know, I learned this early on in my career, thankfully. So here I am, low level in President Reagan's office. You know, I'm the young, one of the youngest ones. Uh, he comes out of the White House. There's only like 12 or 13 in the office at the time. And I start to watch what's going on here. And I realized very quickly that here's a man who, you know, I had put up on a pedestal, President Reagan but gave a lot of his success to his kitchen cabinet, the people around him all the time, whether it was his staff or actually his kitchen cabinet. And what is a kitchen cabinet? It's a group of trusted friends, advisors. You know, every president has a a cabinet, sorry. Mm -hmm. Secretary of Defense, Secretary of Transportation, Secretary of Education, they usually use each other like a board of directors. They meet and they talk about solutions and problems. But President Reagan had what he affectionately called his kitchen cabinet. And he looked at them for three things, brutal honesty, you know, shared vision. They were success oriented. And so I learned that early on in my life. And so throughout my life, I've had this kitchen cabinet. So when I'm speaking, by the way, I will ask others or in my blogs, I'll say, you know, who's in your kitchen cabinet? Who has your ear? Where are you getting your information from? Because I think if you take the top 10, 15 people and you average them, that's about where you're going to be in your life. So are you you know, always the smartest, you're, you're number 10, are you number one, always being pulled up by the rest? I think if I had to say one to 10, 10 being the most successful of the people around me, I kind of want to be like three because I want to help people because every opportunity I've ever had in life is because somebody helped me. But I also want seven, 10, 15 people above me who are smarter, like you said about your friend group. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you get the smartest ones around you? Mm-hmm. So then I was fortunate in my life, keeping this in mind, to run across Ron Bailey, who built Strayer University, who took it public. Um, you know, the stock just skyrocketed from $10 a share to like 14 split two for one, went to $110 a share. I mean, it was just an amazing success story. But Ron has always been part of this kitchen cabinet. I would say the king of the kitchen cabinet. But he brings so many things to me. It's it's not just a knowledge, a wisdom about him, about business. But it's also this very addicting attitude. Like we'll be talking about something and he'll say, well, Dan, we can talk about it mm-hmm. or we could just do it. And if it doesn't work, stop and do something else. And Megan, when you're around somebody like that, I mean, it just opens up 
your eyes to the opportunities, that everything is an opportunity, that nothing can stop you, that no one's attitude, no one's no, you know, from a business perspective, is going to just halt you in your tracks. Instead, you start to see that with the right team, with the right people, the sky is the limit. Mm-hmm. And and Ron is that person for me. I mean, just constantly giving me business advice, looking at my numbers, looking at my P&L, my balance sheet, my business plans over the years, and offering me solid advice and coaching. And that's really what has inspired me to go into coaching, because I now get to do that for others. Which, by the way, we have a new announcement to make. Well, we have a full-blown coaching program. I mean, I've been doing it for friends over the years, but now it's a serious program. You know, how do you become CEO of yourself, as the CEO of self? And I'm really excited about it. And and the results that we've had so far with people and just the feedback that we've received. But Ron and others like Ron, Otto Kumbar, you know, Brian Axe, different people in my life, different friends, business leaders – who have impacted my life, now I get to take all that knowledge and help impact others. Mm -hmm. And that's my ultimate goal here, is to really make an impact in people's lives. So let me ask you this for the listeners. Can you share with them how you think that leadership coaching could help them? Yeah. So, you know, I'm very fortunate to speak to thousands and thousands of CEOs each year. And so a lot of the, I would say, problems that they have you know, they want more freedom. They mm-hmm. want the ability to step outside the company, to not be there all the time, to spend more time with their family. And then once they're with their family, to be present while they're there. And I help them in that journey. And, and it's real. So it's it's finding that freedom formula. It's, it's giving them the time to spend away from the business and finding the right people within the company to take that responsibility to get the monkeys off their backs so that they can live the life that they want to live and and to be able to take more vacations and and be with their kids and then when they're with their kids I mean Megan you you know you've been helping with all this but we've even created like action items and opportunities you know mm-hmm. with your children uh, what you should be doing if you have an hour or two in the evenings and 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 with your spouse and so we've just gotten great feedback from spouses that are like, hey, I don't know what they're paying you, but we'll we'll subsidize that. Keep doing what you're doing because they've seen a marked change in the in the personality, uh, the actions of that person or that that we're coaching. So mm-hmm. I'm loving this. I'm having fun with it. And I'm doing the same thing that others have done for me, which is just completely transform my perspective, my life, and move it forward into a positive direction. Mm-hmm. Can you just share one thing why you're looking forward to working with our listen like if listeners want to get coaching from you um can you share why you're looking forward to working with them Yeah I think that a lot of times it's the experiences right that we have and so when you know one experience and you're only maybe getting information back from your employees or maybe your board of directors a totally different perspective, a totally different mindset, giving examples of how others have changed can really transform you. So I think it's complete and total transformation, and I want nothing less than that. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm excited. That's what they can expect. And to do that, though, we we have to dig deep. We have to find out really where the opportunities are, uh, what the problems are. And But even that process is fun because don't think for a second it's not mutually beneficial because from those conversations, I'm learning, I'm getting better, and we're investing in each other. So I think, again, just from the feedback that we've gotten so far, it's been really exciting. So we'll include how to get a hold of us if they are interested in coaching, leadership coaching with you, the listeners, in our show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash zero five zero. So that is episode 50 of Garage Goliath and a recap of the five thematic lessons that we've identified over 50 episodes, which are the importance of creativity, courage, culture, connection, and coaching in your leadership journey. So we feel very fortunate to have had so many great guests over the past 50 episodes and I feel fortunate to have been involved behind the scenes and I'm excited for the next 50 episodes to have a little bit more of a public voice on the podcast as well and so thanks for that opportunity. 
Yeah, so I, again, I can't, I will reiterate what Megan just said. This is fun. See, I am a lifelong learner. I want to be. I know I don't have all the answers, but I want to try to learn as much as I can. And so really why I started this podcast is that I get to meet these incredibly successful people and they're problem solvers. They're not excuse makers. And so I wanted to introduce the best and the brightest from that group to my listeners and dig deeper on some of these things. And so thank you to all of the people who've allowed me to interview them. And uh, Megan, you've been a great, you know, big part of that, making this happen and setting everything up and, you know, helping me with all the research and everything to make sure that we're asking the right questions. So thank you for that. But I look forward to the next 50, the next 100. You know, it's funny. I was telling my a friend of mine the other day that we were going to, going to do this, the 50th episode. And he said, Dan, you know, this is big, right? Most people don't make it past two or three, and then it just kind of disappears. So I'm very happy and appreciative that we've grown our base, our community too. So that's why if you do like what you're hearing, you know, go to iTunes, rate us, review us, and then reach out to us because we want to make sure that we're talking about the things that will impact your life. We want to make sure we have the right guests on and that I'm asking the right questions. So I'm coachable. Uh, help me out, but let's make sure we're getting you the right information. So moving forward, tell a friend, get, you know, send them a link, but we want to expand the community. We want to make a bigger impact. That's what life is about. And I know it may be a cliche, but you know, how do you take your life from success and move it into significance? And I challenge all of you to do that within your own sphere of influence, within your family, within your company, but it's been 50. Let's go for another. Sounds great. Can't wait to see you guys next time. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Remember, to get a recap of this episode of Garage to Goliath, you can get the show notes at quigglegroup.com forward slash 050. Also, don't just listen to the show. Subscribe to it in iTunes at quigglegroup.com forward slash iTunes. So I think this would be a great episode to share with friends because it's a recap of lessons from past episodes and directs them to where they can dig deeper into these lessons and learn more. So as a personal favor to me, will you text one leader in your life today and recommend they listen to Garage to Goliath? All you have to do is text them the link quigglegroup.com forward slash 050 and tell them why you think they'll enjoy the show. I really appreciate it. And if you're interested in my leadership coaching program, send an email to coaching at quigglegroup.com. Mention episode 50 of Garage to Goliath and we'll take 10% off your first coaching session. Thank you.